You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. All right, my friends, we're returning to the subject of Christian and covenantal parenting uh, in these weeks of the fall. And uh, as I've done so, my mind has gone to uh, what I would consider to be two vital elements uh, of a healthy culture in our homes. I'll put it to you this way. Uh, My mind has gone to two things that I want for all the kids of resurrection, uh, two things I want them to know. Uh, about their parents. The first of those two things I took up last week, it's uh, our children knowing that they're loved. That should be something as all pervasive in their lives as the air that they breathe, uh, that their mom and dad love them. So we talked about that last week. Today, I want to speak of a second thing that I want our children to know. Uh, Not only that they are loved, but also that they are not in charge. Our children need to know that their parents are the ones who are in charge in their home, that that's God's good and wise provision for their good. And I'm saying that this second thing, just as much as the first thing, should be part of the culture of our homes. Uh, It should manifest itself in a thousand little ways. Um, that promotes the security of our kids, the stability um, that they enjoy growing up in our homes, and not least of all, that prepares them for the rest of their lives in which they will live under various God-appointed authorities uh, of one kind or another. Now, I know I've already spoken of authority as parents, and uh, this was in the context of uh, our considerations of discipline as the means God has given us to enforce that authority. I'm not intending to cover that same ground again. Here's what I want to do. Parents, I want to try to describe for you how it is that in very subtle ways, our parental devotion to our children, the one, the kind of devotion I've just been speaking of in this uh, series, if it's not balanced with parental authority, uh, can lead to what I'm calling little kindergarkies in our homes. Uh, we can have family cultures in which it's our kids who are, at least in practical ways, the ones in charge. Now, how do you like that term, kindergarky? Uh, I wish I could claim to have coined it. You know that a monarchy is a society that's ruled by one person. An oligarchy is a society that's ruled by typically a small number of people. Uh, You know the word patriarchy. It means ruled by father. Matriarchy, that's a a community ruled by a mother. But a home becomes a kindergarchy when it is effectively ruled by the children. Again, wish I could have Uh, coined this word for myself, but I have picked it up somewhere along the way. And of course, when I use the word kindergarten, I am exaggerating uh, for effect uh, in this podcast. I'm not really envisioning uh, families at Resurrection Presbyterian or in the listenership of Resurrection Life where kids are sitting back barking orders to their parents. But folks, um, the reason for this whole podcast 
uh, is a mindfulness that I have of things I've witnessed, many of you have as well, countless times over the years, and that is children in subtle ways trying to take charge in their homes, and parents who are, at least to some degree, uh, letting them do so. So uh, I'm going to talk about five more or less subtle signs of a kindergarten, Uh, five ways in which this unwholesome culture can begin to develop in our homes. And I, along the way, have some practical suggestions for uh, creating a culture that's uh, counteracting these tendencies. So uh, to speak a little bit provocatively, I'll say five times, you might be living in a kindergarten. number one, if your child's obedience is consistently given to you on his own terms. Uh, recall the things I've uh, emphasized already, brothers and sisters, there is a kind of obedience that really is as much disobedience as it is obedience. Uh, it's reluctant, it's complaining, it only happens under threat, it's half-hearted, it's incomplete, and uh, we talked about how all these things are forms of discipline they call for, pardon me, they're forms of, of disobedience, they call for discipline because, well, they're real, concrete acts of resistance to your authority. Um, we could compare it to lying. Uh, a lie is still a lie, even when it contains a great deal of truth. So also a child can be massively disobedient on the way uh, to being in some more minimal way obedient. What I'm wanting to drill down on just now, though, uh, is the the more subtle ways uh, in which children can show resistance to our authority all the while acting as if they're all about obedience. So let's envision for a moment uh, a daughter uh, being asked by her mother uh, to get her little brother dressed to go. And let's imagine several possible responses of this daughter to her mom's instructions. She might say on the one hand very cheerfully, I'll do that when I get finished reading my book, Mom. Okay. Uh, She might say in a very helpful tone of voice, actually, Mom, his clothes look just fine. He doesn't need new clothes. Or she might say while she's uh, reading her book a bit more absentmindedly, "Uh, can you ask Johnny to do that? Now, has a high crime (laughs) been committed in any of these responses? Well, Hardly. And parents, you are right to think, I've got bigger fish to fry than that. Uh, Point well taken. But in those subtle ways, I'm wanting you to recognize that here is a child uh, who's responding to their mom, in this case, with a certain willingness to obey, yet on their own terms. They're at least reserving, this little girl is at least reserving to herself the right to determine how or when to obey, or at the very least, uh, to negotiate the terms of their obedience. We talked about the standard for obedience that parents should have, uh, clearly set before their children, prompt obedience, cheerful obedience, and full obedience. 
And when that's not being given to you, parents, uh, what you're tolerating is a, a kind of rival to your authority in the home. That's the rise, in very subtle and preliminary ways, of what I'm calling the kindergarten. If everything in your home that you call for or command is subject to debate and counterproposal, well, you have a kindergarten on the rise. Now, am I advocating for something more like Captain Von Trapp's family? Uh, some of you will get that reference. The Sound of Music. Uh, the naval officer dad summons his kids with a whistle, and they march, and they uh, come dashing to attention. It's a kind of military-grade obedience, folks. That's not what I'm after. Uh, furthest thing from my mind. Matter of fact, here's my uh, testimony from my wife and my uh, thought, uh, thinking and, and working through this over the years. Uh, we recognize that even as our young children uh, began to show some critical thinking ability, uh, began to evaluate the instructions they were given, uh, on the one hand, uh, we wanted to insist on prompt and cheerful and full obedience, but on the other hand, we were also aware uh, that there are times when, well, we didn't have all the information when we gave that a word of instruction. We didn't have all the information. Our children uh, other times have legitimate questions about what they're being told to do, and there was a need for some way for our kids to appeal to us respectfully as their authority. So he, this was our rule. Uh, it's varied in very other homes that I have high, high, high regard for. Uh, our rule was if mom and dad tell you to do something, you must obey without delay, but you're allowed that one question before prompt uh, and cheerful and full obedience. That one question in our home was, Mom, may I ask you something about that? And that was their opportunity uh, to make us aware. For example, Johnny uh, actually has already done what you asked me to do. He's, he's dressed the baby. Do you still want me to do it? <laughs> or to make a respectful appeal, uh, Mom, I'm almost done with this chapter. May I finish the chapter? Uh, I don't think I could count. I'm sure I couldn't. How many times uh, Ashley or I would would say, sure, absolutely. Uh, there's no undermining of the authority in that. Uh, was that uh, privilege of saying, may I ask you something about that, uh, ever abused? Well, of course. <laughs> and there were times when the answer was simply, no, you may not. Just do as I said. And that was the sign that this was a drop everything and just do what mama said moment. Uh, so I begin there. You might be living in a kindergarten if your child's obedience is consistently given to you on his own terms. Trying to alert my fellow parents to those patterns in which the uh, roles can become reversed, even in small ways and subtle ways. Now, friends, in connection with this first point uh, about maintaining a culture in the home of children who recognize and respect the authority of their parents, uh, may I be so bold as to commend to you uh, a feature of home life from the Old South, and especially and increasingly today, the Deep South. Now, <laughs> I am not interested in stoking 
uh, any regional rivalries uh, in my congregation or further abroad. And I'm, I am certainly not interested in whitewashing uh, the cultural sins of the South in days past. But folks, the culture of the Old South here in our country uh, got a few things right, to be sure. And biblical Christianity shaped that culture and continues to shape that culture in some unique ways. And one of those was the prevailing practice of children speaking to their parents, and other adults for that matter, uh, with terms of respect, sir and ma'am. Now, I know that's probably foreign to many, maybe even most of my listeners, so let me tell you how that worked. Uh, Ashley and I grew up in homes with Southern sensibilities in this area, uh, there were roots in her home uh, there in Mississippi and Louisiana. Uh, my home life had roots in South Georgia. And our parents on both sides raised us with the expectation uh, that when, for example, they gave us instructions, we would respond, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. And that was an indication of our readiness to obey. Or when we were asked, for example, uh, yes or no questions, the proper response was yes, ma'am. Or no, ma'am, yes, sir, or no, sir, and that as well as a sign of our respect. As I say, we were taught to use those terms in our communication, not just with our parents, but actually with other adults as well. Uh, with our parents, those terms represented our uh, acknowledgement of their authority. But with other adults, more broadly, they showed that we knew who our seniors were and the respect that we owed them. So coming from that kind of upbringing, it was natural, of course, for Ashley and me to expect and even to require uh, the same in our kids. Duncan, it's time to brush your teeth, get ready for bed. Yes, sir, is the expected response to that. Or uh, Tristan, do you know where your pajamas are? Uh, no, sir, is the right response to that. Now, I just have to assure you, this did not sound in the Trice home uh, like some Marine Corps culture, sir, yes, sir, rather uh, in everyday ways, very uh, lovingly expressed ways, ma'am and sir became part of a culture where mom and dad are recognized as in charge. Uh, the kids were expressing their surrender to that reality, their affirming of that reality. And uh, folks, at its best, those terms uh, become terms of endearment uh, as well as respect. Affection, not just submission, is communicated. Here's the point that I want to make as I commend this uh, to those who are listening to this series. Folks, little patterns like this uh, not only express a right view of authority, they also engender it. They also cultivate it. Uh, we are shaped, are we not, by the rituals of our lives, large or small though they may be, and your children are shaped in very wholesome ways by uh, meaningful patterns like the one that I'm commending. Now, I am by no means saying, please let me clarify uh, that households without these kinds of rituals or traditions are therefore kindergartens. Or I'm not saying that children in such homes who simply respond to mom or dad, yeah, are therefore necessarily showing disrespect. I recognize, indeed, that respect for authority is ultimately a heart 
issue, but I'm being so bold here to commend to you a little feature uh, for the culture of your home that has had powerful, good effect uh, in my own home. It shapes uh, attitudes in our children towards seniority and towards authority, and it is very effective in heading off the kindergarten creep uh, that we all have to resist and that I'm speaking about in this podcast. I'll just say it is harder for children to show disrespect to their mom or dad when their reflexive response uh, due to the training that they've received from their parents is to say, yes, ma'am, when they're told to do something or when they're called. My wife was telling me about a conversation with our daughter. I trust she. My daughter won't uh, object to my sharing this bit. Uh, She was saying even at the ripe age of uh, 24, uh, when she's home and when mom calls up the stairs for her, her reflexive response is, yes, ma'am. And uh, that made me think of uh, my own response to this day. In my ripe old age of, uh, what is it, 53, when I am with my mother, my father's gone now, when I'm with my mother and she uh, asks a question and I'd say yes or no question, I still in love and respect despite all that has relaxed in our relationship as as fellow adults, I still love to say uh, yes, ma'am. If your kids are in their teens, uh, maybe a little bit late uh, to try to steer towards this uh, feature, or this element of the culture of, of a home that I'm commending. I realize that. Uh, but I particularly have in mind parents who are just starting your family. Your children are very young, and I, I warmly commend uh, this particular feature of uh, a culture that is on the other end of a kindergarten culture. Uh, For my resurrection families, uh, feel free to ask me more about what this might look like. Number two, you might be living in a kindergarten if your child consistently expects and demands your immediate attention to his needs. Now, I need to hasten to say something, of course. Uh, Our children are needy, to be sure. Our job as parents is to meet those needs. There are countless times when those needs need to be met immediately. All that I said about love, uh, last podcast, makes us ready and eager uh, to change the diaper as soon as it's dirty, to feed our children when they're hungry, to come running when they get hurt, to make ourselves available to them when they want to talk. But I ask you to consider, my friends, if it is truly healthy for your child to grow up with the assumption as his parents uh, that no matter what his need, uh, you'll drop everything to meet it. I'm asking the question, could this not lead to a practical situation where you, in effect, become the servants of the house and his needs, at least, uh, become the master along with our children knowing that they were there for them to help them in a thousand ways, here's what I'm saying. They also need to recognize uh, that they're in the place of asking for help, not demanding it. Uh, They need to be aware that there are many things more important than their needs in that moment. 
And they need to submit to your judgment as parents uh, about how urgent the need is, how and when it will be met. In other words, uh, for our children's own sake, we can't afford to pose as their servants uh, at their beck and call. I've talked about a thousand little things. Let me just think with you about a couple that have come to my mind. Um, I'm thinking right now of a little boy who walks into the house yelling, Mom, at the top of his lungs. Well, what does that little boy want? Well, he wants Mom's attention immediately (laughs) as he he shouts out her name. And, of course, if he's bleeding, there's something arguably quite appropriate about that. But he may just want his mom right now immediately to tend to whatever uh, wish or concern he has. I remember um, uh, jumping on a, on a son or two over the years with that tendency uh, and saying, you walk in this house quietly. You go find your mom where she is. You check to see what she's in the middle of. You ask her if you may speak with her for a moment don't treat your mother like she's the housemaid. Well, <laughs> you can imagine uh, a dad having that kind of chat with his uh, son. Some of you may need to have that chat with your son or daughter, for that matter. I'm thinking also of a, of a child who runs up to dad, say, at church or in some other setting where he's engaged in conversation and she comes with something very pressing in her little world that he needs to tend to, and she simply barges in to that conversation. She speaks, speak, she starts speaking right over her mom or dad. Uh, She asks a question, no matter what her mom or dad has been uh, uh, just then saying. Well, that's a child wanting mom's attention or dad's attention uh, on her, his own terms. I've seen this at resurrection, uh, a good thing, that is, uh, the same kind of rule that I've had, we've had in our own home. Um, You come up to your mom or dad while they're in the middle of a conversation with another adult in, in particular, and you just stand and wait until mom or dad, who know exactly what's happening, you want to speak to them, comes to a place in the conversation for that pause and says, yes, dear? Um, parents, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that if your children expect your drop-everything attention, uh, they're evil, wicked people. I am certainly not saying that. Matter of fact, uh, that's just evidence that they're normal, which is to say they're normal, self-oriented Sinful people, all of us in our sin nature want uh, to put others around us to work, promoting our well-being. Your kids are normal, but this is the point. The best way for your home to inch towards a kindergarten is really just for you to do nothing, to let these kinds of patterns have their natural course Uh, You love and are devoted to your children in all their neediness. That has a tendency to center them in your home. Their own sinful desires have a way of placing them, as much as they're able, in the center of everything. And 
if there's not some self-discipline and intentional culture-making to resist that, well, the kindergarten is inevitable. I, I have seen even little toddlers uh, being held by their mother, uh, interrupting, for example, and turning their mother's face in the direction of their face uh, to claim their attention in that, abs- in that moment. And of course, this is normal. Um, children uh, seeking to be at the center of their parents' attention. Uh, watch for this in your children. Look for that, parents, look for that demanding tone towards you as their parent. Mom, I'm hungry. There's another way of saying that. It doesn't sound like issuing an order to mom. Mom, may I have something to eat? Or listen for that air of disapproval uh, of what you're doing. You made meatloaf for supper last week. Look for that sense of entitlement. Mom, I need you to do such and such. Um, Trying to raise your awareness of ways in which uh, the roles between parents and children can uh, very subtly uh, even become reversed in momentary uh, situations. Number three, you might be living in a kindergarten if your child shows no mindfulness of your wishes or wisdom in his decisions. Now, were it possible in God's good earth to live life apart from any authority over us, well, that would mean that we would have no one's will to consult in our decisions beyond, well, of our own, of course. That's the meaning of the word autonomy, being a will to ourselves. Of course, none of us are in that position. Uh, We're all under God's authority, which means that in all of our decisions, we must be mindful of, and we must consult his will. We really do live life as children of our Father in heaven, asking the question every day, what would my Father want me to do? Now, notice that that's a mindset we all should have as Christians. It goes beyond just submitting when we're confronted with God's will. It's a more proactive mindset. It actually seeks to know our Father's will, and to follow that will. We actually embrace the role that God has in our lives to guide us. So we live as Christians, as children of our Heavenly Father, mindful of what He wants and concerned to know His wisdom for us. Now, what I'm saying about our parenting is that same kind of mindfulness of our wishes as parents— of our wisdom as parents, is what we're seeking in our children. And folks, it's something we have a right to expect from them, even at young age. So much of what this podcast is about uh, is informing expectations of parents. Perhaps you've never seen uh, this kind of culture that I'm describing. Um, That's so much of what I'm seeking to do here. I live in a neighborhood with a lot of dogs, a lot of dog walkers. And um, in some cases, it's quite clear the dogs are being walked. That is to say, the dog is going where the guy uh, wants to go. But 
You know where I'm going with this. Uh, in other cases, it looks a little bit like it's the people being walked. Uh, you know the profile. The dog is out ahead, straining at the leash. Uh, the person's arm is extended and as he holds onto this leash, and his whole body is being pulled. Well, my illustration uh, is to say this. I've seen, I'm sure you have as well, uh, a fair amount of parenting that's in that second category. All you need for that is, uh, let's just say, a bold an inquisitive child with a love for, well, we could call it tactile learning in this world. And that child naturally has nothing to consult but his own will concerning where he goes, what he picks up. And without some intentionality on the part of parents, uh, sometimes quite literally, parents are left just trotting behind their children to keep up, uh, children can take their parents for the walk. Now, it's all, don't get me wrong, it's all most of the time just sweet and even adorable. There doesn't seem to be anything particularly sinful about it, but this is what I'm alerting to my fellow parents, um, what I'm alerting them to. In the long run, uh, there's a kind of sin of omission that is a failure to do something that God requires uh, that can happen there and does happen in our children. Uh, The sin of omission, the failure to do what God requires is to ask, what would my mom want? What does my dad allow? It's right for you to be seeking in your parenting a certain mindfulness in your children of your wishes. So, For example, parents, uh, with your young children, you need to be able to say, no, you play right here where I can see you. And to give them that, again, at a time they're young but able to understand what you're saying, give them that instruction, and it's right for you to expect that they will be mindful of that parameter that you just gave them. Uh, you need to have children who know they can't just see and touch and take anything and everything they want in their little world. You need to have children that are, even at a young age, acquiring the awareness that there are a lot of things they need your permission to do. And when they're in doubt, it's always best to ask mom or dad. I was uh, listening to two little girls Oh, I don't know. They were four, um, maybe even younger, about that age, uh, talking to each other in the church foyer the other day. And uh, the one was proposing something to the other, uh, going and doing something. I didn't catch that part, but I heard distinctly the one little girl say to her friend, I have to ask my mommy. And off she went. Folks, it warmed my pastor's heart. That was a child, mindful of her mom's will in the way that I am speaking of. And can I just add this, like a lot of the other things that I said about the larger subject of discipline, if it's taken to heart by parents and acted on, can take away so much of the anxiety that I see, particularly in parents of young children, Uh, children who are not in any way mindful of their parents' will 
their parents' wishes, are children that have to be constantly watched, have to be constantly chased, have to be constantly hovered over, especially if, say, you're in a place where things can be broken, little children picking them up. (laughs) Um, But acquiring uh, the uh, expectation that our children actually can come to have this at a simple level, this question, what does my father, what does my mother want from me in this situation? Uh, it makes uh, for far more peaceful parenting, I can assure you. Moving on then to number four. You might be living in a kindergarten if your child has no sense of responsibility to serve you as a son or daughter. I'll just pause here to say, thanks, Mom. Uh, I was in a conversation with my mother on a visit uh, here to Charlotte recently, and I told her what I was uh, planning for the next podcast. And I said, what do you think, Mom? Where, where do you see kindergartens uh, in the making? And she pointed me in this particular direction. I'm uh, very appreciative she's seen even more than I have in her years. Now, when I talk about a child who has no sense of responsibility to serve his or her parents, I'm obviously talking now about children of a certain age and maturity. A toddler uh, may try to help his dad stack the dishwasher. Uh, That's a pretty minimal contribution to the household, to be sure, Uh, but a wonderful uh, instinct or uh, impulse to affirm. But parents, I I don't think this will be a debatable point, uh, certainly not a controversial one. It is a good thing. It's a wise thing for parents, even early in their children's lives, to assign household tasks. Uh, They used to be called chores back in the little house on the prairie days, but that word has come to have more negative connotations. If you hear somebody use the word, they might be saying something like, oh, it was such a chore. And uh, so chores, that may not be the word you pick in your home. Just to be contrarian, uh, the Trices did use that word. We had chores and lists of chores, and we reshuffled them uh, typically each fall. We had a family conference, and we reassigned and reallocated chores. I'm not interested in talking about how you actually go about doing that. I'm interested here I'm talking about the philosophy of ministry. Can I speak that way? The philosophy of ministry behind having chores. Here's what we want to prevent in the long run as we, as parents, minister to our children. We want to prevent a situation where our children are merely consumers and not contributors uh, to the household's needs. That's not good for our children, that kind of situation. Uh, it can actually create conditions that are favorable to the kindergarten that we've been speaking of. So if a child doesn't have any sense of obligation to pick up after himself, uh, to clean and straighten, no assignments from mom or dad about things that they can do, here's the situation that can eventually result. Think of uh, the teenage years where there's been an utter absence of any of this um, delegation of responsibility to children. Uh, that child can all practical purposes, uh, for all practical purposes, live like a little lord in his own home. And of course, mom or parents in general become the staff, the wait staff. Now, someone says, 
Pastor, are you saying that we should look at our children as our servants? They're not my servants. They're my sons and daughters. And uh, a fair point is being made there. Uh, They're God's servants, to be sure. Uh, He wants them, your children, to learn servanthood under your authority. And I would even go so far as to grant, yes, indeed, we are serving our children as parents. We're all servants in that sense. But here's my point. In your relationship with your children, the authority does go one way. And you have a right and a responsibility to command their service in the home. They should grow up with a servant spirit towards you as those over them in order that they might live the rest of their days with that righteous, Christ-like servant spirit. Remember what the Scripture says about um, this subject? It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth that he be a servant, and that's what you're uh, rightly seeking in your home. Well, I have just one more uh, perspective sign of a kindergarten on the rise, and I'll put it to you this way. Number five, you might be living in a kindergarten if your child's judgment is more influential in family decisions than your own Here I'm referring to the pattern that uh, in some homes can develop among parents who are very eager to please their children, and they're eager to do so out of love for them. And uh, what that can lead to, without the intentionality that I'm calling for, is that parents concede to their children a great deal of say in the family decisions that God has actually placed upon parents' shoulders. Now, friends, I do think there is a lot of room for differences in our family cultures in this area broadly. I recognize some parents seek more collaboration with their kids in certain kinds of decisions in the home. Other parents uh, seek less of that. There is uh, great legitimacy to a spectrum uh, like that. I I, uh, I don't ever remember my dad, for example, asking me where I wanted to go on vacation growing up, but I think it's perfectly fine for dads to ask their children about where they want to go on vacation. Some homes are going to have more of a democratic feel than other homes in things like that. I will say that uh, as uh, I've raised children into uh, young adulthood, I've realized that many family decisions benefit greatly from getting the input of our children, moms and dads sitting down. We call them family conferences and saying, here's what we're thinking about. Tell us what you think. And, well, there's a lot of insight, uh, by God's grace, more and more uh, that we can gain from our children. But here's my point under this final heading. It needs to be clear to our children where the ultimate decision-making lies in our homes. They may be able to give input, some uh, more input in some homes than others, but mom and dad are the decision-makers, uh, not uh, the children. From time to time, I encounter family cultures, uh, even in Christian homes, that at least in certain areas seems positively upside down. 
uh, the true decision makers in the home, even in weighty matters, are the children. Uh, in my work over the years at Greyfriars Classical Academy, we have encountered those occasional parents who are looking at the school, they're comparing this school with multiple other educational options, and they'll just say, rather matter-of-factly, about their fifth grader, well, it is ultimately his decision. His decision. Really. A matter of such significance, representing such influence in his life at such a tender age, (laughs) it's his decision? I've watched as parents follow their children in their children's preferences for a church home. They choose a church, uh, really on the basis of the will or the wish of their children. And I'm submitting to you, brothers and sisters, that this is upside down uh, in light of God's order for the home. Yes, I will say our goal is for our children to become wise decision makers for themselves, and we don't do them any favors as parents if we make all their decisions for them. I'll have more to say about that as I come to teens in this series, but I'm speaking now about children being allowed to make decisions not just for themselves, but for the family, for their parents. Uh, This could uh, actually come to a point when vital decisions are made, are made primarily based on the wisdom and will of the kids, when, well, the word kindergarty ceases to be an exaggeration, it can actually come to a place where parents have abdicated their authority, and with that authority, their responsibility for making wise decisions for the home. Kids are leading. Parents are following. My fellow parents, I... Acknowledge decision-making is hard. Decision-making is hard, especially when it involves so dramatically uh, other people's lives. It's tempting to pass it off. Let the kids make the decision. But mom, dad, it's our job. It's the responsibility of parents. And you're the one equipped by God to make these decisions wisely and faithful to the Scriptures. Well, the topic for today has been the kindergarten. Why is it so much to be avoided? What's at stake? I think you've heard me say over the course of the last few minutes, the most basic answer to this is that kindergarten is contrary to God's design for your family. What is his design? This is a really good time as I wrap things up to point out the biblical vision for the family is ultimately patriarchy. If there is a father in the home, He has the final authority and the final responsibility for everything that takes place in that home. Children are called to submit to both of their parents in Ephesians 6, but wives are called to submit to their husbands, Ephesians 5. So it could not be clearer from the Scripture that the husband, the dad, is the head of the home. The Christian family is a patriarchy. It's also worth my pointing out that in dad's absence— as is uh, frequently the case in a traditional uh, division of labor in Christian homes, well, the home comes to be temporarily, de facto, a matriarchy. That's certainly uh, rightly your children's perspective. Dad's at work, mom is in charge, and dad is certainly going to make sure that this point is not lost 
on any of his kids if he's a faithful dad. That's God's design. So kindergarten is a turning inside out God's design for our homes. And there is no profit in going contrary to God's design. As a matter of fact, that's how I want to close. Uh, Brothers and sisters, it's not good for our children uh, to put them in charge or let them seek to be in charge. Uh, The happiest children, in my experience, are those who've learned to live under authority. That is also what has most prepared them uh, for life, Um, what has most guarded them against the the heart's tendency towards autonomy. That is a rude awakening um, awaiting our children uh, who have um, run their own homes, so to speak. Uh, The thing that's most at stake, well, uh, it's children being willing to be led uh, by a father in heaven all their days because the Christian life is a patriarchy. Our father in heaven is in charge. So, my friends, for all these reasons, I say again, I want for your child to know both these things about you. You love them, and you are also in charge. Am I wrong about this? I think many children grow up with one or the other, but not both of those two things. So there is a, for example, love culture in the home, but there's not enough authority. Or there's an authority culture in the home, but not enough love. Those have been the themes of these uh, first two podcasts as I reenter the series on parenting this fall. Both are needed. And of course, the gold standard we have is the one we have in our Heavenly Father. Have you noticed, have you noticed, my fellow child of God, you are so loved. He's left you with no question about that. But you also are so not in charge. He's left you with no question about that either. Well, I should leave you uh, to your other worthy endeavors at this point. It's a privilege to have this much of your time, my friends. And I'll simply say once again, take heart, dear ones. Christ is risen. You've been listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice, a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. If you've been blessed by today's podcast, consider sharing it with someone you know. And thank you for joining us.